The end of the year is right around the corner, which means people are making New Year's resolutions like establishing healthy habits by reducing stress and getting better sleep. So finish strong and enter the new year stronger with the Abide, Sleep, and Pray Meditation app. The number one Christian meditation app that helps you to be your best and deepen your experience with the peace of Christ through biblical meditation. It's been an excellent way for me to deepen my spiritual health. With Abide's premium subscription services, you get early access to more content, ad-free meditation, and an experience you can cater to your needs with background music customization, a sleep timer, and a journal, all to help your habits and health become routine. Download the Abide app today and enter the new year with prayer meditations that improve sleep and spiritual growth. Right now, we have a special offer when you subscribe. 25% off your first year when you sign up for the premium subscription, but only if you text the Be The Bridge promo code BTB to 22433. Don't wait. Download Abide, Sleep, and Pray Meditation today and text the Be The Bridge promo code BTB to 22433 today to get 25% off. You are listening to the Be The Bridge podcast with Latasha Morrison. How are you guys doing today? It's exciting. Each week, Be The Bridge podcast tackles subjects related to race and culture with the goal of bringing understanding. But I'm going to do it in the spirit of love. We believe understanding can move us toward racial healing, racial equity, and racial unity. Latasha Morrison is the founder of Be The Bridge, which is an organization responding to racial brokenness and systemic injustice in our world. This podcast is an extension of our vision to make sure people are no longer conditioned by a racialized society, but grounded in truth. If you have not hit the subscribe button, please do so now. Without further ado, let's begin today's podcast. Oh, and stick around for some important information at the end. Be the Bridge community. I have a special treat for you today. You're going to be really excited. I want to read a little bit about who she is, what she does, and um, you're going to love her just like I do. Uh, We have Sandra Marie Van Opstel. Um, She is a second-generation Latina and the executive director of Chasing Justice. She is an author and a pastor and an activist reimagining the intersection of faith and justice. Sandra has given leadership in global movements such as the Lausanne, um, the Justice Conference, um, Urbana Missions Conference. She has also had a strong domestic presence as an executive director and pastor of Grace and Peace Church. So she was the executive pastor of Grace and Peace Church and an activist on the west side of Chicago. She is a contributor to the New York Times bestselling book, A Rhythm of Prayer. And she's also the author of Next Worship. And we're going to talk about um, her her book and some of her Enneagram work. Sandra is doing so many things, but I want her... Um, it's been a it's been a rough two years, and um, I know you're not on church staff anymore. But I really wanted to lead into um, just what you've been up to, and um, I want you to talk about some of the things that your church um, did um, in Chicago. Um, on the west side of Chicago, because you know what I I hear so many stories about you know, Chicago, Atlanta, Philly, and especially from um, sometimes uh, from the the white community where people will say, um, well, like we're not like we're not doing anything in our communities to um, to 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 fight poverty or injustice or um, gun violence or all those things. And I'm like, how do you know you don't live there? <laughs> like, I'm like, I know so many organizations, churches, and pastors that have that are doing amazing work in all of those areas. So, what makes you make that assumption that no work is being done when you don't even live there and you don't even connect with you're not even in 
proximity with the people who are on the ground doing the work. But I wanted you just to talk about um, some of the things that your church did um, just during the pandemic. Well, it's great to be here with you guys. I obviously have listened to um, pretty much all the episodes (laughs) of Be The Bridge um, because I love you, Tasha, but also all of our friends are on there. So I'm catching up with friends because we don't have time to talk. I listen to their podcasts and figure out what they're up to. Okay. Um, So that's that's because all of us as leaders of color, we're busy. We're doing the work. We're in our communities. And one of the things that I love about the guests that you have on this podcast and also about, you know, kind of our our personal philosophies as, as friends and sisters is that you speak nationally to the work that you do and about the work that you do locally. That the mm. things that we we know in concept and theory are yeah. practiced in a space and place that we mm-hmm. live. So you in Atlanta, me on the west side of Chicago here. And from that, that's where we consult from yeah. and we write from and we speak from those places. So I do live on the west side of Chicago. I am um, I live in and pastor in the area that is Humble Park, Hermosa, and North Austin. Mm. Um, I was a pastor at Grace and Peace for eight years and uh, left the pastoral work to do uh, this adventure that is chasing justice that's primarily uh, trying to mobilize and kind of be a guide to mm. um, people in their adulting years. You know, they're, they're becoming adults and they're figuring this thing out. And what does it look like to live a lifestyle of justice beyond mm. a hashtag and beyond a protest, but yes. into a lifestyle of compassion and justice? So I started mm. that um, adventure um, during COVID, during mm-hmm. the lockdown, um, and the one of the reasons, getting to your question, one of the reasons was that the church that I had been a part of had always had a community center, had always had, because uh, we're part, we practice Christian community development, at basically asset-based development yes. that is mm-hmm. led through and from the church. Mm-hmm. And so we had a community center that had had after-school programs and tutoring and health drives and, you know, mm-hmm. all the kinds of things that are primarily relief, but some development work as well. And um, we realized that our food co-op um, was one of the places that we most kind of connected with our community. And mm-hmm. when COVID hit and when the lockdown hit, day laborers and folks that work for their daily bread mm-hmm. were most impacted. So mm-hmm. a community like ours where um, south of our church is 99% African-American, north mm-hmm. of our church, literally one block over is like 90 plus percent recent immigrants from Central America, from Mexico, mm-hmm. uh, from South America. And those two populations were so devastated by mm-hmm. the pandemic. And in particular, as it relates to jobs, access mm-hmm. to jobs, and just our daily bread. Mm-hmm. So our church began a food bank. And because we were already in connection with our local councilmen, with mm-hmm. our local schools, with our local businesses, what was a food co-op that was feeding dozens of families, you know, what then became a community that had fed thousands of families within a week. Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many millions of pounds of foods and truckloads and semis of stuff began to come from all the surrounding areas and different organizations because we had the relationships. So there were people during this time that were like, we want to help, we want to help, but we don't know who to help. We have no connection Mm -hmm. or proximity. And then there are those of us that have connection and proximity. We're like, we need partnership. Mm. But we 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 are ready to lead because we have been leading. So um, aside from the food bank, we we have a full on like kind of vaccine initiative, mm-hmm. which is very needed. Yes. And very needed to be very nuanced within black and brown communities yes. because of mm-hmm. our relationship with healthcare in our country. Yes. Mm-hmm. So we have a vaccine clinic, basically vaccine initiatives, partnering with local uh, clinics and hospitals so many things that are happening uh, right now with teenagers. And so our church had a very gifted staff. Mm-hmm. Our community center had a very gifted staff of people who had been food insecure, who had been housing insecure, who mm-hmm. had been immigrants who had come, who had been women and men transitioning out of domestic violence and mm-hmm. survivors of domestic violence, who who have who had been incarcerated, mm-hmm. um, who had been day laborers, who had lived on the street. And mm-hmm. within the own church community, we found leaders that could give voice to what are the what are the needs of our community and how do we best develop an actual ministry to and with that community. 
So that's what's been happening. It's, you know, like a lot of churches kind of pivoted to how do we use our resources for a Sunday service online? I know. (laughs) That's what Um, I was just about to say. (laughs) We had a Sunday service online, but that's just not where all of our energy went to. Yes. But because of that, um, my son had asthma and has asthma. And because of that, um, I actually could not be around for much of what pastors were doing during the week Mm -hmm. because I couldn't be exposed. And so that was kind of a natural transitioning time for me to move out of my formal role at the church as the, as the, as a pastor there and into Mm -hmm. my role as the executive director of Chasing Justice. So yeah, lots of great work happening here. I love it. And I I wanted you to highlight that, uh, you know, because I want people to hear and to see like a lot of times when you hear, um, you know, other narratives, um, you have no idea unless you've been there, you've walked or uh, partnered with, um, you don't know what's happening in those communities because you don't live there. And so, um, but people are doing amazing work. And um, I know you've been really busy. Now, tell me a little bit um I do know I, I um, read some of the rhythm of prayer that you were involved in. Tell me a little bit about that project and uh, why you said yes to that particular project. Oh my goodness, uh, Tasha! <laughs> I did so much writing in two in nineteen two thousand nineteen two thousand twenty twenty two. I don't I don't even know. Um, the rhythm of prayer was an invitation uh, by Sarah Bessie. So okay. so um, she was reminded of. When things were difficult in in life, the women at her church got together and prayed mm. and they had a prayer circle. Yeah. And when she began to describe this to me, I think we we're in person at a conference, I immediately thought of all the ladies in the church on Saturday morning in our kitchen at church eating mm-hmm. Puerto Rican bread with butter and drinking mm. coffee, cafe con leche. Mm. I immediately thought of them because they are the women that pray for me when I'm on the road. They are the women mm-hmm. that pray for me when I'm doing the hard work. They are the people I call when my when my family's distraught or my kids are sick. Like mm-hmm. I know who has, I know who is going to actually pray for you, not just say mm-hmm. they're going to. And I thought of the women in in our very small kitchen at our church, mm-hmm. gathered around the table, um, having their bread and talking to God mm-hmm. and connecting with one another. And I was like, I want to be in a book that does that. Like, yeah. of course I want to be in it. So she began to describe for me to me, her vision for that. Similar to the book that uh, Natasha Sistrug Robinson um, just published recently yes. called Voices of Lament. It's a very similar kind of idea, yes. uh-huh. except with with Natasha's, with Voices of Lament, it was focused on Psalm 37, yes. a Psalm mm-hmm. of Lament, and it was strictly women of color. It wasn't yeah. a mixture of women of color and white women. So yeah. um, both of these projects were very similar and they were projects that were done by friends that were serious about scripture, that were serious about prayer, mm-hmm. that were maybe in two different kind of uh, spheres within the Christian, you know, kind of uh, tradition and space, but mm-hmm. but that were committed to a diversity of voices of people that were calling out to God mm. for something to be different about our world. You know? Yes, um, obviously it. the rhythm of prayer was written before um, mm-hmm. and published right at the beginning of the COVID lockdown, mm-hmm. um, the quarantine, and Voices of Lament came after. And so okay. that actually is a very interesting mm. experience for me because both of those collective works written by 20 plus women, prayers written by 20 plus women on each in each of those projects, um, one before we knew right. mm. that America was going to expose itself mm. for what was actually there, and mm-hmm. one after we knew. Yeah, that America was going to expose itself and then ignore itself and then double down on itself. Mm. Yes, yeah, go ahead and say, say that. that. Yes, Let's so say that. <laughs> and maybe so maybe it's even like more pain. It's like mm-hmm. the first one was written during uh, for many of us after our fight and struggle against child separation at the border. Mm-hmm. Uh, many of us in that project were involved yes. with that mm-hmm. um, in racial injustice and educational inequity within our own communities mm-hmm. um, and the amount of microaggressions and inequity that we experience in the workplace, um, in the marketplace. Uh, And so the second one was like, wow, this happened. And yeah, you dug your heels in. Yeah, I I was just, um, Natasha, I was actually just on her podcast and she was, I just interviewed her on the podcast. And then um, I was at her book um, tour that she had here and um, got to hear her read um, some of the lament from that book and the stories from that book. And um, I, I got to meet the artist, the illustrator 
um, that's there and um, that's in the book. And um, that work is beautiful work. And I think it's going to be um, timeless work. Both of these things that you've worked on um, are going to be timeless work that people are going to go to over and over again. And I love how you made that connection of, you know, what one was before things, before we even knew what was going to happen. I, I always reflect back to when I, when I, when I see people again, and we're like, oh my goodness, I hadn't seen you since before the pandemic. Oh yeah. Yeah. You remember when we saw each other and we were, had no idea what was coming, you know, around the corner. And I, and I really feel like um, the rhythm is, of prayers, like definitely a, a book of preparation. Um, and then, um, you know, voices and um, voices of the mint is like a, a, a book of like um, liberation in, in that sense. And so um, beautiful pieces. You've been busy, um, young lady. You have been really busy. Like you said, you, you've contributed a lot. Uh, but then also in the midst of that, you... Um, republished, I think, rewrote, like, uh, updated your um, your book, um, um, The Next Worship, um, That because it, it, it originally came out in, when Ooh. year did Next Worship it, it was it, it came out in the end of 2015, and okay. I wrote it, I guess, in 2013, when you, when you think back. <laughs> I know, right, right? <laughs> People don't realize that you have to write the book in so, so far in advance, yeah. And then, um, so you did an update that I think that just came out in 2022, right? Yeah. So InterVarsity, you know, I will tell you, friends of Be the Bridge, you know, uh-huh. <laughs> when I wrote this book, The Next mm-hmm. Worship, the idea of the book was to really give people an understanding of why it is, why our worship shapes mm. our imagination yes, and our uh-huh. understanding that we are a global church. So mm-hmm. I wrote it not to like convince churches to do diverse worship. I wrote it yes. as a kind of philosophy about what worship is. It's a mm. practice that we do mm-hmm. to connect with our creator, Yes, to develop spaces and places where we imagine what actually is instead of, or and what, what could be instead of what we see today. And so mm. the next worship, you know, uh, glorifying God in a diverse world, I think is what it's called. Yes. Glorifying God in a diverse world is a subtitle. Um, and its idea is that, we are a diverse body yes. of believers. And mm-hmm. therefore, the practices of the whole body enrich us and form us and transform yes. us. I wrote that in, two, again, 2013 is probably when I started writing it. The church did not have questions about this in 2013. So when it published mm-hmm. in 2015, it did well, like it did it did pretty mm-hmm. well. But it it has actually been around now for, you know, eight years. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it has lasted, they use it in seminaries yeah. and art mm-hmm. kind of Christian institutions that teach worship arts and mm-hmm. churches use it. And it's used all over the world, actually. And and mm-hmm. as it kind of manual slash imagine, uh, you know, kind of spark for your imagination on right. what worship could look like. I had no idea that in this last couple of years, post-racial uprising, churches were going to be asking the question, how do we grow in our hospitality and in mm-hmm. our solidarity and our in our mutuality? How do we grow as a church? Mm-hmm. How do we grow as Christian communities? How do I grow as an individual mm-hmm. in my ability to stand in solidarity with people that live different lives and experience different things? Mm-hmm. And 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 how do we do that? Well we we do that in our practices, mm-hmm. in our spiritual disciplines and practices. And so mm-hmm. Um, the next worship has done an amazing, it's it's just done really well in the last couple of years because people were asking the question five years after I wrote it, wow. eight years after I wrote it. And yes. so I was I was talking about that with my with my friend the other day. I was like, I'm working on a book right now. And I was like, I know no one's gonna be asking this question right now, but but I'm yes. building something that yes. I know the church will need in five to ten years. So for example, yes. the work that we're doing with Chasing Justice. It really is a work that is led by people of color Mm -hmm. that is asking questions about our collective liberation, Mm -hmm. our collective Mm -hmm. flourishing as peoples of color and our allies, looking at what it looks like not to just fight for one cause or one Mm -hmm. group, but to come together and to make space for all of us. And that's just not the question that's being asked right now. And so um, sometimes I feel like I'm living in an experience where, and I guess that's maybe that's the role of the prophet. You're like, 
You're yep. painting a picture yep. and asking a question that nobody yep. else is asking, and then mm-hmm. you're trying to get them to ask that question with you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and I mean, you're really um, foretelling in a sense where it's like you're being proactive and not reactive because you know, and I think God does that. Like God chooses people to be um, prophets and priests, you know, um, and to speak into various types of things. And, I, and when I think about um, your book, I think about um, the work um, that you're doing. I think about even Be the Bridge, like at the time, like there's been preparation um, in our lives for this work all of our life, you know what I'm saying? And we can look back and see the threads of that in, in, in some way. But when God was putting this on your heart, um, sometimes we have to realize it's not necessarily for the now, but it's for the later. Um, some things are for the now, some things are for the later. And I think when I was saying like some of the work is going to be timeless is because, um, and even someone told me that about my work, like People may not get it now, but they'll get it later. And just think about like, you know, your book being used in seminaries and in churches, like the the impact that it's having. And then when you talk about global worship, what happens when a diverse church glorifies the global God? That's something that is not really being said in a lot of predominantly um, um, white churches. That's not the vision that the white church has. And I want to be specific in that because when I think about, um, you know, predominantly Black church, we do think of Jesus, the God of the nations. I remember that was just a song when when I, growing up in Black church, you know, um, the church that I was on staff at, we would say that, you know, one who knows, um, you know, every dimension, you know, and so we we see God as global. We see ourselves connected to that Christian in Brazil or that Christian in Africa, that Christian in Korea or that Christian, you know, in Iraq. You know, we, we see ourselves connected. But um, because we're very communal and collective, but it's not really something that you see um in um in a just having been in several uh and served in several white church staff that it's not something where it's looking beyond um to the uttermost parts it's you know more so um looking right there so what do you mean when you say global god like paint because you're painting a vision of yes. something when you're talking about worship worship teach the people say ah, you know teach the people. Well, well let me start with <laughs> let me start with one of the things that one of the guys in class said yesterday so i teach uh-huh. a cl- i teach a class at stateville correctional center on okay. preaching and leadership and we were talking yesterday about um, context in preaching. And we were talking about how Jesus was a Palestinian man, okay? Mm-hmm. Jesus was a Palestinian Jew. He okay. grew up in a particular space and place. And when you, like, I just want you to imagine in your mind's eye, close your eyes unless you're driving, in your mind's eye, the feet of Jesus, his mm. brown feet mm. in a pair of sandals touching Palestinian soil, okay? Mm. This is the God we serve. Yeah. A God who was in space and place. And the gospel was so potent and so amazing and so liberative and so such good news mm-hmm. that it traveled mm-hmm. from that space and place mm. over the Egypt Nile, you know, over um, yeah. the, the the seas and the rivers and uh-huh. went to Rome and it went to North Africa and it went to all these places. Mm-hmm. But it was a gospel and a good news that was proclaimed about mm. God's love for a people that were located in space and place. Mm. So that, so first of all, God is a global God because yes. literally it's he's not American, okay? Mm-hmm. Secondly, the scripture is about a displaced, oppressed, marginalized, wandering group of refugees and people of longing that mm. were looking for a day of rest, a mm. day of flourishing, a place to lay their heads. Um, and that describes what most of our what most of our friends and siblings are going through globally right now. Mm. We are in the one of the our time's most massive displacement experience with refugees mm. and immigrants all over the world, displaced everywhere. I mean, think about even uh, in the Ukraine and Poland and Italy and all that's happening there. And then we have Syria and Lebanon. I mean, every region has massive displacement, mm-hmm. not just here in, in the in the um, right. in, in North America and South America. Um our Venezuelan brothers and sisters, our Ecuadorian brothers and sisters Uh, that are coming up. Mm -hmm. And so now more than ever, we are experiencing how small our world is. And as our brothers and sisters move, 
So for example, I can speak to our space. Every Sunday I come to church and, you know, maybe we're 200 people, maybe a hundred, some, you know, depending on the Sunday. But every other Sunday I come and the church is full and I can't find a seat. And the reason is because we're receiving these beautiful gifts from the state of Texas um, on mm. buses. Um, and those immigrants mm. sent to us by the state of Texas are coming to our church as a first mm. stop. Mm-hmm. And they're many of which are who are Christians. That's too. what I was going to say. So mm-hmm. they come and they're not necessarily coming to hear the gospel because they mm-hmm. are already in Christ. Yes. Yes. They are coming to get a shower because the bus driver mm-hmm. never stopped in those 28 hours and they came without mm-hmm. having gone to the bathroom. In a, so they're soiled, they're tired, they're, they want food. They're, so they're just, oh my gosh, respite, rest. And then they're with mm-hmm. us maybe for a week, maybe for mm. a month, depending on how long it takes to get them resettled somewhere. Ooh, and geez. those siblings are coming mm. young. I mean, they're mu- most of them much younger than me, are coming young parents with their children as bears of the good mm. news. They mm. are the feet that are bringing the good news mm. to a church that is exhausted, to a city that is tired, to an mm. American uh, church of every color, race, and ethnicity that really is wondering if God is listening at all. Mm. And they're coming after this long track of this experience and saying, mm. God is worthy to be praised. So mm. when I we have to actually pass through their church service to get to ours because they're meeting in, uh, well, when they're, we're separate, mm-hmm. they're meeting in the dock. So it's called the dock, but it's actually another sanctuary because it used to be a dock. Um, so I pass through there like 100 plus people and they're worshiping in Spanish. And then I get to ours, which is bilingual because there's not enough seats in either church to hold everyone. And... Every mm. time I walk through, I'm just going to tell you, Tasha, mm. I'm just going to tell you, every time I walk through that worship service, mm. I can feel God's presence mm. in a way that is so potent that I'm crying by the time I finish mm. walking those, you mm. know, 50 steps. Because mm. I know from personal experience with my friends that have been there mm. here at least a year, the stories mm. and the suffering they have gone through. Yes. And I know that it directly connects us with the Mm. God of Scripture, who was Mm -hmm. with God's people Mm. when they went through their displacement, wandering, longing, Mm -hmm. and suffering. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. so there's something about being in that space and place. And and, Mm. and if you can have it in proximity, like, again, we're we're a church that has African-American folks. Mm -hmm. I'm living, I I live in a community that's, that's Black, that's, Puerto Rican, that's Mexican, mm. that's Central American. And so my proximity, either in my community, kind of, you know, the community of moms at school, mm. with my kids, or at the, in the neighborhood experiences or meetings at the park district, I'm constantly in proximity with people who have utterly different life experiences than I do, even as a Latina, even as mm-hmm. someone who who is from the quote unquote, community, ethnically. Mm-hmm. Um, and those things enrich our lives. So I, yes. I think that's what I mean by global God. I mean, yes. our God is a, our Messiah came in flesh as a Jewish Palestinian mm-hmm. refugee. Mm-hmm. And it's, the gospel yes. was brought to the earth mm-hmm. by people on the margins, mm-hmm. wandering, and the revival of the church today is primarily in places mm. that we would walk around. Yes. Or fly over mm. or pass by in our cities. Mm. Like Google Maps actually takes you around our neighborhood, never takes mm. you through it. So you would never see, you would never know. Say it again, say it again. Google Maps takes you around your neighborhood, but not through your neighborhood. Yeah. Even Google's racist, just so you know. <laughs> mm. Mm. Like, you know, like like in Scripture, it's, it talks about Jesus, like, going, like, through Samaria when nobody went through. Like, everybody walked around, like, you know? And so, I mean, this, one of the Scriptures that come to mind when you were talking, Sandra, is, you know, when you're talking about the gift that's been given and like you said, the presence of God, um, having gone to Venezuela and, um, you know, and, 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 and worked with churches in Venezuela, um, you know, 
knowing that there are like godly, I had never experienced worship. Let me tell you, I couldn't understand a word <laughs> that was that they were singing, but it connected at heart. And so that's understanding that God is global. And the scripture that comes to mind when you, when you were saying that um, about, you know, the, um, the refugees that are coming that have been displaced, but are, are coming in longing and have not even uh, been given dignity in their coming, which I think is a gift from God because I think it's an exposure um, to God in another way that could really be a gift to the church, but we're rejecting that gift. But um, I was just thinking about Matthew 25 and um, and when the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne, all the nations all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And then uh, the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take up your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. And then that you go through that scripture. And I'm like, if that's not convicting, you know, um, these, you know, having gone to the border and having met with um, migrants and majority of the ones I, I met with um, were Christians, you know, um, hearing their stories. I mean, I think that's just uh, just some beautiful work that's happening <laughs> Yeah, um, in your church. I usually yeah. tell people, I'm like, if you want to know, I wrote this in the in the book Still Evangelical, which was uh -huh. a a book that we wrote in 2017, right after the uh, inauguration of that administration, uh -huh. and um, it was like, do we call ourselves evangelical still after the 81 percent said, you know, they were for kind of anti-immigrant and anti-black, and mm -hmm. um, uh, we said, I mean, I said, like, I, I'm remaining to reform. That was my chapter. I'm remaining uh -huh. to reform, like. I consider mm. myself an evangelica. I consider myself a Latina evangelical, which is a mm -hmm. completely different, different category. Mm -hmm. And I said, I don't consider myself, and if I don't consider myself an evangelical, it's because evangelicals don't consider me. Mm. Evangelicals don't consider my community. Our mm. communities, Tasha, Black communities, Brown communities, Native communities, Asian mm -hmm. communities, we are always the recipient of being the needy. Mm. We are always the project. We are always the ones to be fixed. Mm. But in my book, I argue that mutuality communicates to one another, not just I'm with you. Can I help you? I, I see your sadness. I see your mm. poverty. Can I do something about it? Mm. Mutuality says you are an equal mm. and I need you. Not, I, mm. not only I stand with you in solidarity, but I need you in mutuality. Mm. And mm. so I think this is the time for and I said this in 2017, so I'm going to say it again, 2022. I think this is the time where we as a church in the U.S. and in Canada need to think very clearly, and in Europe, yes. need to think very clearly about the gifts that God has given us mm. in the people that God is sending to us from mm. the places that God is most present among mm. the poor. And so... Repeat that's why that again. So the <laughs> people that's doing some work can pause while they're listening to this podcast um, and just meditate on that. Repeat that again, please. Okay, I'm not. Okay, I'll try. I know. <laughs> so that we can think about the people God is sending to yes. us from the places God is sending to us mm -hmm. where God is most present mm. among the poor. Mm. Um. This is what I truly believe. When mm. we receive a bus that comes from the state of Texas, mm -hmm. I mourn for Florida and Texas because mm. you just lost evangelists Ooh. that were bringing the good news Ooh. in your context. Mm. And what I want to say is... Say la, say la. Oh my gosh. These are people like I first, and, and also they make amazing arepas. So I was in the kitchen the other day. I was like, um, <laughs> "Is that an arepa I see? Like, can I have one? You know, I'm a pastora. Can I have one? Like, you gotta give me one." Um, but the gift that the the, the depth of theology mm. and worship and sustainable faith that comes from places of persecution mm. and marginalization is the faith that we read about in Scripture, mm. and our anemic faith 
Mm. is what causes us to run away from one another when we don't agree and and from God when things don't go the way they should be. So I'm going to tell you, I wrestle with God all the time. Are Mm. you present? How long, Lord? Why is Mm. this happening? But I'm not like abandoning. I mean, I totally understand the church is foul sometimes, but it's it's the faith that came from my grandmothers that allows me to stay in places mm. that are hard. And so mm. my commitment to continue to congregate in church when church isn't always the most exciting mm. place to be, you know, because mm. no church is perfect. My right. commitment to continue to give generously mm. to spaces and places that are caring, even though like I'd rather spend it on myself, you know, mm-hmm. Those are commitments that come from the faith that my abuela, that my grandmother passed on to me, mm. our ancestral faith for yeah. African-Americans who have come from the, the spirituals and the traditions and the theology that is a sustaining faith. That's the faith that that's the faith that's coming to our um, to our country from Afghanistan, mm. from Syria, from Ukraine, mm. you know, so um and from our young people who yeah. are developing their faith in the context of suffering and and persecution in different ways and mm-hmm. and injustice. And so what I'm trying to say in the next worship, I know mm-hmm. there's stuff out here, there's stuff in here about music, I promise. Uh, if you're a musician yeah. <laughs> or an actual worship leader, I promise there are chapters on that, but that's not actually what, what the book mm-hmm. was written for. It was uh mm-hmm. it was an invitation for us to consider that everything we do is located in culture our leadership, mm. our preaching, our theology, our worship. Mm. And therefore, we ought to be students of our own culture. We ought to be students of other cultures. And that in order to practice reconciliation and worship, we we need to practice hospitality, which says, I we welcome you. We need to practice solidarity, which says, we stand by you. And we need mm-hmm. to pra- practice mutuality, which says, we need you. You are not just the needy, you are the needed. You are not just the needy, you are not you are the needy. You are not just the you are not just the you are not just the you are not Everybody to get this book, you know. Um and I think some people are so they're more concerned about being diverse as far as a way um that it looks on stage or having this voice represented rather than it being a lifestyle or a it's it's more of a head change that I see rather than a heart change, you know, um, because when you do the heart change, all the other things happen with it. Um, but I see people um, really doing a lot of diverse things because they don't want to get the heat when they don't. Um, but they're not really, um, really doing multi-ethnic, multicultural work. Um, so you're having, you know, I see where you have a diverse group of people up there singing, but they're they're singing um, in a very Western, um, Western way. I know your book even talks about that, like, you know, um, or either or either we'll have people sing um, a couple of verses in um, Spanish, you know, of, of, of one of these. Um, you know, um, Maverick City songs, you know, we'll, I'm gonna have you sing Sandra in a couple verses of Spanish. And that is multi-ethnic, multicultural worship. And that's yeah. not correct. And I know you speak to that. I think I think the, the first step that people move to is like representation. And I know yeah. you guys talk about this a lot. Like yeah. representation mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. diversity is not the same thing as equity. Exactly. It is not the same thing as inclusion and voice. It's, it's just not. Mm-hmm. So, but I think people kind of stop there. Like, oh, we have a diverse, yeah, we have a diverse group of musicians. Now this is diverse worship. Mm-hmm. And we have many, many examples of that. But it's it's funded by and funded for and produced by a white church in California, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And the people that benefit from that are actually not people that are on the margins, but people that are at the center of power and are shaping all of our theology. And so mm-hmm. I think the most important thing, um, obviously you have to start at representation. You need to have a diverse group. Right. But the question is when you get all those people together, like when you when you have that staff team, that perfect church staff team or that nonprofit staff team, or even I do a lot of consulting in the for-profit in the marketplace. Like when you have that perfectly diverse team, how do you create an environment in which people can actually give voice to that and that to their perspectives? And that requires cultural intelligence, that correct requires competencies, that requires emotional intelligence, that requires tools that you may not have. Um, 
And it's hard to do if you're not always kind of leaning in and asking questions like, teach me more. I'll give you a great example today. We put up a graphic. <laughs> we, I had a designer, uh, one of mm-hmm. our designers who's who's black, but not African-American. So a mm-hmm. black Caribbean designer who's making mm-hmm. a designer for our podcast that was featuring, that is featuring a native voice. Okay. And so I, he put something together and I was like, I haven't, I just kind of feel like it's not going to be right. Mm-hmm. Like it, 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 it's like representative, but not authentic. Mm-hmm. So what about something like this? Could this be closer? Because I took it off their, their, their webpage, their uh, mm-hmm. Instagram. And then sure enough, we designed a couple of things. We showed it and it was like, ah, and it was very, it was very cross-cultural conversation because it wasn't mm-hmm. like, nope, that's not it. I feel, mm-hmm. you know, tokenized. It was like, well, that's a great, that's a great um, picture for this. Like if you were trying to do this, you know? So it was, it was, it was a great interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I said, no, just tell me the truth. This is a friend. I was like, just tell me the truth. And I said, what about this, this, or this? And we went back and forth. We finally got something. You'll see it in the next, mm-hmm. the next couple of days okay. that we think worked. And then I said to the, to the Black Caribbean designer, this is called cross-cultural design. Mm. Where our instincts, because we don't know, mm-hmm. as people of color from other uh, BIPOC spaces, we don't know what is something that is truly kind of pan-native in the sense that it's across native cultures or if mm-hmm. it's something that is distinctly for a powwow culture or mm-hmm. is distinctly for a Pueblo culture, is distinctly for Cherokee culture. Mm-hmm. Um, we would know within Black spaces or Latino mm-hmm. spaces, but we don't we don't know that within right. that space. So I think churches have to go through that of leaning in. It's like, you don't mm-hmm. just learn and you stop learning. You keep, these are, yes. my entire team is young leaders of color mm. under the age of 30. They're all amazing designers and thinkers mm-hmm. and theologians, but they have experience within their mm. own communities and maybe one that. other community. So we're still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we as communities and organizations need to ask ourselves and as in, in individuals, like, is there a question I should be asking mm. mm-hmm. when I when I sense there's a disconnect, what what can I mm-hmm. ask? Um, and mm-hmm. putting a bunch of people up there from the same from different cultures or different races is not going to actually create diverse worship mm-hmm. unless you create a space in which they can voice their theology, their perspective, their experience of God. In the same way that having diverse teams organizationally, the data shows that having diverse teams if they don't have CQ, if they don't have cultural intelligence, actually makes them less productive, less productive mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. less effective than a homogeneous team. So better to have okay. people that are the same if mm-hmm. you're going to put a bunch of people from diverse settings and they don't have cultural intelligence and they don't know the questions yeah. to be asking. So I think yeah, that good. is what some of the book also does is it asks the question like, how do you develop leaders across cultures? How do you mm-hmm. discern your own culture? How do you make this? How do different cultures make decisions? And how do you put together a mm-hmm. worship experience from the entrance, kind of from the gathering of you know uh, the, the the church time when people come in to their time mm-hmm. of leading, leaving, including rituals, uh, preaching, uh, the Lord's table. Mm-hmm. You know, like how do we create yeah. and design experiences that are more than representational? And how do we keep away from tokenism? Mm. So those are like, I think, chapters four, five, and six. Yeah, so good, so good. And uh, one of the last projects I wanted to talk about that you uh, have been working on before I ask you some fun questions um, is that you wrote, um, you're, you're, you know, everybody, when we have them on, you know, one of the things that everyone's talking about is the Enneagram. And um, I just interviewed um, uh, Milton, um, who um, did some training for our team. He does um, Do It For The Gram, um, Enneagram um, 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 coach um, and instructor. Um, you are, what? what is your Enneagram number? Well, since I put it on the top of a book, I will tell you I'm an Enneagram <laughs> 8. Okay. Before Ivy, I was before to. Ivy Press had me write that book, I never told anyone, although I'm sure it's clear. <laughs> Wow, I'm so surprised. <laughs> I know. And Enneagram 8, you know, because they're always like, this is not right. Change it. Uh-huh, you know, we're right, coming right. in, like, knocking things down, like, justice for all. That's <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. And so um, 
I would love like, um, you know, your Enneagram 8. And what was the book that you um, you just wrote? Um, so was- InterVarsity Press did a series of yes. devotionals um, yeah. that was edited by Susan Stabile and it's called 40 Days on Being. So 40 Days okay. on Being and 8 is the one that okay. I wrote. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. I, and, I, and I had the book and I was looking for it and I was like, what did I do? I have so many books. Like I know, like, I hear I you. I'm like, my books friends need to stop writing. Over. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, I'm like, I was like, okay, this is another book. I get, I, I, I probably get like three or four books in the mail like each week, you know, at least like, okay, I would say at least two at a minimum, you know, and um, and so I'm like trying to keep up with all all the books and put them in places and making sure I take pictures of them. And, you know, sometimes it's like, it's it's so much. Somebody's but... releasing something every day. Yes. Which yes. is amazing because I was telling someone the other day, when I was uh-huh. 30 years old, nobody uh-huh. was asking women of color to write mm. at all. Nobody was asking us. Yes. We couldn't get in a door anywhere. Now I feel like I know at least a dozen women of color under 30 that have written books. And wow. I'm like that. I just never thought I'd see the day. Um, mm. Yes, InterVarsity Press so contacted me and said, hey, we'd like you to write a book on a devotional on being an Enneagram 8 because uh-huh. you have been utilizing this tool for two decades now in your mm-hmm. work, in the work of justice. Mm. And we think that you'd be a really helpful voice in helping folks who are activists and mm-hmm. connecting their activism to their faith in 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 their journey as Enneagram 8. So I said, no, of course. I was like, I don't have time <laughs> to write a book. Um, uh-huh. I'm trying to write my own book. Literally, I'm three years, like my publisher's been waiting for three years for this book. Um, uh-huh. And I was like, no, I don't, I can't do it. And, you know, then the quarantine came and I got a call from them again. And they said, hey, would you please be willing to write this book? And I was like, um, here's three people that I think could write that book. You can uh-huh. ask them. I'm sure they'll say, I'm sure they'll be great voices. So then I got a call again and it was like, okay, well, we we did we did ask the people that you suggested. They they're amazing, um, and one of them was going to write it, and then they, you know, they could do it. So we just felt like maybe it was like a, maybe it was like a sign from the Lord to write it again. So <laughs> to ask you. again. So they asked again, and I was like, fine, you wore me down, you know. Um, uh-huh, no, uh-huh. Um, so I I said yes because we were all at home mm-hmm. and I realized through the work that we were doing with Chasing Justice mm. that it is hard to be an activism, an activist that has nothing to actually do. Like it's hard to be an activist that's not acting. Mm-hmm. And I, the 40 days on being an Enneagram 8 is a devotional for activists. Mm-hmm. It's a devotional for people of faith that want to see the world change that know something's mm. not right, right, and they have a sneaking suspicion that the only thing that could change and turn evil to good would be the power of the Spirit of God. Mm. And mm. so they're like, how can I tap into that? Um, how can I tap into that and be grounded in my my re- connection with God? So I wrote the Enneagram 8 mm-hmm. devotional as an Enneagram 8, but I wrote it for anybody that's in that space. Mm. Like I am trying to change the world, get rid of racism, sexism, evil, Mm -hmm. poverty, injustice, and oppression. I think God has something to do with this. I'm tired of doing it on my own strength. Mm -hmm. And I would love to connect with God on this. That's why I wrote it. Um, I never thought in my whole life I would be writing as personally as I did in that devotional. Mm. So much so that Susan Stabile was like, I didn't expect this book at all. Like you wrote something I did not expect. And I think she says it in her podcast that I did with her um, for her podcast. I never have seen an eight write like this. Mm. And I I asked her, I said, have you ever met a Latina eight? Mm. Because I think that Latina eights are very, very vulnerable. I Mm. think that we are not afraid of our weakness or emotion. We are not as afraid of our weakness. So many layers in that. Um, Milton was bringing some of that out in in my podcast with him about um, some of the blind spots, you know, um, as it relates to um, the Enneagram. And then also getting to where the Enneagram started 
and how it's been whitewashed a lot. So yes, anyway, so Enneagram so white, hashtag Enneagram so white. Um, I, so, and I also wanted to write it because it was a project mm. that, that was primarily writers of color. So Margaret Harper Nichols, Marlena Graves, I mean, mm-hmm. lots of folks, Juanita Rasmus, a lot of folks of color were writing for mm. for the series. It's, I think it's one white male and one white woman that are in the, eight, in the, in the nine types, oh, wow. but the rest of us are writers of color. I'd never seen a devotional or a book on the Enneagram, Sean Palmer's in it. Mm. So I, I was excited again. And call me Latina, I don't know, call me Latina, but I love collaboration, you know? Yes. A collective uh-huh. communal project. Every yes. That's why I get sucked into them. That's why oh, I don't write wow. into my own books. Um, but it was- That's a, so good. <laughs> it was a devotional that was written obviously by one person, but it was in a collection of devotionals that was right. written by leaders of color. And all of us reflecting on our own social- um, an ethnic and racial experience and space as Enneagram oh, types. And so, so it, it reflects and shows in each of the devotionals that it's a different kind of experience. So I always tell people, if you've never read a devotional written by a Latina, like just a spiritual devotional, you should pick it up. Yeah. If you've never written, a de- if you've never read a devotional uh, written, or if you want to read a devotional as an activist, then pick it up. If you happen to be an Enneagram 8, obviously you probably relate to it most. But let me tell you this, Tasha, most devotionals that are out there don't say, this is a devotional written by a suburban white soccer mom who's an Enneagram 3. They don't say that. They don't say, this is a a devotional in a book written by a CEO, pastor, Enneagram 1 from the state of California. They don't Mm. say that. They just mm-hmm. say, this is like your best life, you know, mm-hmm. getting over the hump, you know, whatever yeah. they're called. So mm-hmm. this just happens to be a devotional written by, that states who it's written by right. up front. Um, yeah. And I think that is um, part of the work that you're trying to do with the yeah. with Be The Bridge is like, probably, probably the work that I'm trying to do with the next worship is to say, all of us have a cultural and social location. We just don't lead with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like yeah. every single book on leadership, a podcast on worship, mm-hmm. organization on, you know, mm-hmm. um, kind of uh, you know, spiritual formation or whatever you're doing. Every single thing mm-hmm. is led from a space and place that has a cultural values. Yeah. That's cultural values and racialized experiences. All yes. of us do. Yeah. Um, and every, so everyone is doing that. Yeah. So for me, this was an opportunity to give voice to the Enneagram from the perspective of a Latina activist who happens to be an Enneagram eight. Yeah. I love it. There's so much. I mean, you've given, um, those of you who are listening, she's giving you so many resources that you can pick up. Um, um, We are in the, as we're recording this, this is um, before some of the holidays. So um, she's given us just a lot of resources. I think uh, one of the things um, I like to, you know, ask people, there's so much work you're doing, you know, through your writing. Um, I know you're in school also, you're leading, you're an executive director of Chasing Justice, um, and you guys are doing great work there. Like what, um, what is something right now, um, you know, that I want to know something that you're lamenting right now, that's something that's causing you sorrow, um, right now. Um, I know I'm, that's a, I'm an Enneagram eight, so I can, I can lament a lot. Um, mm-hmm. We're not well. Mm, amen. Tasha. That's I say that all the time. We we are not well. We are not well. We are not well. I it makes me so sad. Like as someone who loves scripture, so I mean, mm-hmm. I just love scripture. Mm-hmm. I love it. Um, and the the Bible study companion that I wrote for the next worship. It was a brand new book. Mm-hmm. Was a bigger joy than actually writing the book because I got to spend mm-hmm. time in scripture. I, I I meet Jesus in scripture. Mm-hmm. I see God in scripture. I see myself in scripture. Mm-hmm. And the fact that I talk to so many Christians that are triggered by scripture right now, mm-hmm. they are yeah. not just out there. They're in my own community. They're my friends. They're mm-hmm. related to me. They're people that I love, people that have been so harmed. Yeah by churches, you know, local churches mm-hmm. are so harmed by Christians, are so harmed mm-hmm. by 
some of the rhetoric of the of the white church in in, in our country. Mm-hmm. They've been so harmed; they don't feel mm-hmm. belonging or safety, trust, or that that just the reading of scripture mm-hmm. causes anxiety for them. Like yeah. that that is a lot yeah. for me. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. Again, because that's where I go when I feel anxiety. Mm-hmm. Like that's where I run to. That's how I was shaped. And so mm-hmm. I think in particular younger, uh, like folks under 30, mm-hmm. um, their relationship with scripture, that makes me lament. Um, mm-hmm. Because I don't know how to hang on. Yeah. Like I don't know how to hope or hang on Yeah, without a deeply rooted faith that is found right. in the reality that God has always been with God's people, mm-hmm. no matter what they have gone through. And so yeah. alongside of that lament, I think is the way that people have perverted scripture in the name of Christ, mm-hmm. the way that they have weaponized scripture to oppress mm-hmm. people, groups, mm-hmm. communities, the way that pastors have abused power and weaponized scripture to get mm-hmm. what they want to, to get people to comply mm-hmm. because they were not well, mm. because they were not in therapy to talk about how their trauma was impacting mm-hmm. them because their egos weren't in check. So I, I I think the lament is really the impact of the abuse. Yeah. And the lament is the fact that there was abuse. Yeah. And the data that's coming out right now, which you all were probably be seeing in the next six months or so, the data that we've been looking at as a team, as Chasing Justice, is to say, like, how do we hold this space where we want our justice work and our activism to be firmly rooted and Mm -hmm. integrated with our Christian faith? Yeah. And we can't find spaces that do that. There's either the work of justice and the work of community transformation and asset-based development and advocacy, or there's quote unquote revival, you know, church, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of church practices. But the space where those two come together is a space that is, feels very foreign to people. Um, And that's true globally because I've spoken to Sisters in South Africa who've done their work, their study actually as scholars at what's happening within the South African and East East African spaces with young activists who do their activism apart from their faith. Yeah. So I think that's the lament for me. And I think that's what causes me to try to do the work where I'm doing it. It's like, can we lament that it's happened, name it for what it is, and then find a new way forward? Yeah, that's good. I think, um, you know, I lament, I, I lament that also um, that is um, something that has definitely um, been on my heart. I've been saying that, like, we are not well. And, and you know, and one of the things is, you know, I, I would say, I, you know, when you hear, because you hear people how they... Um, um, abuse scripture and you know, it's like it's like lamenting that bad exegesis that bad harmonia and you see it like I'm like how could you read that scripture and get that out of it you know um, or not see this in it um, so I, I I am with you in that um, the other thing is what what is something that is bringing you hope and joy right now what is something that's bringing you hope and joy Ooh, that's an important question to ask in Enneagram 8 also. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, I mean, that's very easy for me. First of all, Tuesdays, as I told you earlier, Tuesdays I teach at our state correctional facility. And I apparently I'm glowing when I get home because oh. uh, my my spouse is like, you are lo- you look like you just like had the best day in the whole wide world. Oh. And I think what it is, is I'm getting to hear... Um, Mm. a biblical hermeneutic. I'm getting to hear a Mm. theology that is coming from men who are incarcerated about about the epistles, because that's what we're studying right now, that were written by Paul while he was in prison. Mm. So I feel like I am learning so much and Mm. I'm like being, I don't know, like 
invested into by them. I don't know if that makes mm-hmm, sense, but mm-hmm, I feel like mm-hmm, they're just, mm-hmm. they're investing in me and right. we're creating community where we're having honest conversations about uh-huh. that very topic, how scripture has been abused mm-hmm. and how do we speak to a world full of injustice? So mm-hmm. that, I mean, it's exhausting. I get up at like 4.30 and I don't get home till three, but apparently I glow when I come home. So oh, wow. I, I, that's going to be it. I, according to I those around it. me, um, that's that's my joy. Um I think the other the other thing that brings me joy is um, watching uh, young, gifted uh, leaders of color, mm-hmm. like just what's coming out of folks that are you know eighteen to thirty right now is mm-hmm. like very exciting to me. So yeah. the creativity, the the sass, you know, like the yeah. <laughs> The, I just like it, you know? It's, yeah, it's almost yeah. like they say all the things I wanted to say but knew I would get in trouble for yeah. when I was growing up. Um, and they do it with beauty. So I was having this conversation with someone on my team the other day mm-hmm. about like, how do, you, how do you long for justice and pursue justice in a way that is beautiful? Mm. And the fact that they're asking those questions to me brings so much hope and joy. Yes, I love that. I love that. That's beautiful. Um, thank you so much. Thank you for all that you're doing. Um, thank you um, for living this work out as a lifestyle, you know, um, um, and not being disconnected from the from from the work, but in the trenches of the work. And so we are so grateful for you. We're grateful for your your voice. Um, every time we have you on, uh, doing something through Be The Bridge is like, is um, it really, really resonates with people. And I know um, that this podcast is going to resonate with people. So um, how, you know, we're going to put in the show notes, like how people can connect with you, um, you know, and, you know, what is one thing um, that you would want people to do um, after hearing this podcast? Like give someone a marching order. They listen to this, give a marching order. For you personally, for us personally, I would say think of one way that you can that you can be in proximity mm-hmm. to those that you are advocating for mm-hmm. or that you are wanting to partner with. So I think I that's one thing. I think proximity is. The other thing is if you are in proximity to or know Christians that are, are, or people that are curious about justice or faith that are between the ages of 18 and 30, I would love for you to send them our way to Chasing Justice. Not that mm-hmm. I don't love all, all y'all that are over 30, I do, <laughs> but our particular passion mm-hmm. is to catch people when mm-hmm. they're forming habits yes. and practices mm-hmm. and ask them, what does Jesus have to do with justice? Mm. And what do those things have to do with the way that we live in the world? Oh, so if you know, so. if it's, you know, you're, your child, your niece, your friend, someone at church, mm-hmm. like just pass them on our way so that they can be asking that question about the intersection of of faith and justice. Love it. Love it. So you heard that. So those are two practical things that you can do at the hearing um, this um, podcast. Like I say, you know, um, Be The Bridge is not a movement, but this is a lifestyle that we live. And so we want to continue to um, live that lifestyle where we take this knowledge and this understanding that we're getting from our head to our heart. Um, and we activate that um, and leverage that in our lifestyle. So thank you so much, Sandra. Thank you um, to for listening. Um, and we hope that um, to, to hear from you, we want to hear how this podcast is impacting your life. How did Sandra just impact your life? Make sure you um, find us all at um, bethebridge.com. Um, you can um, write a letter You can um, follow us on Instagram and tell us when we post this um, episode. Um, And you can um, find me at Latasha Morrison on social media. And you can also find Sandra on social media at at Chasing Justice. And also, um, it is your hashtag. We'll put it in the show notes, Sandra Van Opsel, right? 
on 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 social. So it's we make it so easy for people to connect, <laughs> right? You know, all you gotta do is just Google it, um, find it on Instagram. Um, I would say Twitter, but you know, Twitter's having a uh, a, a time. <laughs> I'm not on Twitter, it. just so y'all know. You know, pray pray strength in in, in Twitter, <laughs> and um, um, I think we're on YouTube, but um, I'm not on YouTube. But um, hey, and all the things. So thank you so much, Sandra. Um, thank you for your time. And you guys continue to go out there and uh, build bridges of hope and justice. So. Go to the donors table if you'd like to hear the unedited version of this podcast. Thanks for listening to the Be The Bridge podcast. To find out more about the Be The Bridge organization and or to become a bridge builder in your community, go to bethebridge.com. Again, that's bethebridge.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, remember to rate and review it on this platform and share it with as many people as you possibly can. You can also connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Today's show was edited, recorded, and produced by Trayvon Potts at Integrated Entertainment Studios in Metro Atlanta, Georgia. The host and executive producer is Latasha Morrison. Lauren C. Brown is the senior producer. And transcribed by Sarah Conitzer. Please join us next time. This has been a Be the Bridge production. <laughs>